Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferencecom slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ference, and this is episode number 25. This week, I wanted to talk about an idea that originated from David Allen's book, Getting Things Done. First off, I highly recommend David's book to anybody that is looking to increase their productivity while gaining balance in their life. I will admit that it can be a dry read, but it's highly regarded in the business world and probably borders on having a cult following. Okay, so let's get into it. I've fought the good fight against procrastination for most of my life. Show me a deadline on the horizon and I'll crush a project. Leave me on my own and I'll settle in with my old friend procrastination and wait it out. But over the last year, I've been developing a system for myself that has helped me finally eliminate procrastination from my life and to build productive habits. It's given me more time to spend with friends and family as well as to start new projects like this podcast. Not to mention, wiping out a to-do list is enormously satisfying. So, how does procrastination tie in with getting things done? Well, for one, the title of the book sounds like it solves the problem. But there is one idea from the book that I think really fits this rant. The two-minute rule. What is the two-minute rule? Well, according to David Allen, if you determine an action can be done in two minutes, you should do it right then because it will take you longer to organize it and to review it than it would to actually have finished it the first time you noticed it. Let's break this down a bit. The first thing you need to know about getting things done is it's based around the principle of basically brain dumping everything you need to do into what David calls your inbox. The act of storing all the things you need to do in a repository that you can reference frees your mind up to focus on the task you are currently working on. We've all been deep in a project and had something pop in our head like, I need coffee filters. I should get those on the way home. Boom, concentration broken. That's what the getting things done method, GTD, as it is commonly referred to as, works to eliminate. So now back to the two minute rule. Once you've emptied out all the stuff you need to do, you need to categorize it, schedule it, do it, or potentially delegate it. I'm gonna leave that process to those of you who wanna read the book and stick to the two minute rule for this rant. Essentially, what you will do is, as you are going through your inbox, every time a task comes up that can easily be accomplished in two minutes or less, you should do it immediately. If you save it, i.e. procrastinate it, it will ultimately take more time and energy to schedule it into your calendar, remind yourself to do it, etc. This is the beginning of the end of your procrastination. Think of all the things that you can do in less than two minutes that you save for later. Here's a few favorites taking the trash out, paying a credit card bill, rinsing a dish and putting it in the dishwasher instead of the sink, responding to an email or a text, 
These are all really basic tasks, but they are the things many of us procrastinate. Imagine all of the tasks that work you towards your goals that take less than two minutes. All those small, actionable tasks that I'm always telling you to find. A lot of those can be done in two minutes, and they work you towards your goals. You can't beat that. So now you're starting to see the power of the two-minute rule. There is something to be aware of, though. You can spend a whole day knocking out two-minute rule tasks. And that's potentially not in line with your long-term goals. That might actually be a form of procrastination in itself. You could be using the rule to avoid working on the big stuff that is hard. And we all know the stuff that is hard is the stuff we put off. This is all the more reason to break down your goals to smaller, actionable tasks and steps. Then you can prioritize those tasks, and you'll find a lot of them are easily knocked out by the two-minute rule. And next thing you know, you're off to the races. Here's the most important part of the two-minute rule, and the part that has helped shape my daily habits. By using the two-minute rule, you are creating a tendency for taking action instead of inaction. You are building a positive habit of getting things done. The norm for you becomes doing. When you're procrastinating, you're embracing inaction. And sure, eventually, you'll complete the task, most likely without a penalty. So you are getting away with a tendency of procrastination and developing a habit that will lead you to stagnancy. I encourage you to give it a try, even if you don't read the book and practice the full GTD method. Try using the two-minute rule on some of your daily tasks. You'll find that you're less stressed, that your to-do lists won't carry items for weeks on end, and that ultimately you'll make more progress in every aspect of your life. So if it takes less than two minutes, do it now. Today's guest is entrepreneur and creative music executive Jeremiah Grober. Jeremiah is a co-founder of and principal manager at Global Positioning Services. GPS Management, as it is commonly referred to, is a full-service music management company that currently looks after some of the top engineers, mixers, and producers in the world. Jeremiah and his team take an A&R approach to management, working to establish career-long relationships with their clients. Prior to starting GPS, Jeremiah also worked in A&R and management roles at several other companies, including A&M Records and Sanctuary Music Group. So lots of music business to get into today. Welcome to the show, Jeremiah Grober. What's up, Jeremiah? Hello, Travis. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much. I know you have a a very heavy roster. I'm sure you're very busy, so I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Glad to do it. Glad to be here. Speaking of your roster, I have to say, as an engineer and mixer, that list is made up of some of the most inspiring record makers around. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. Just a a very quick backstory about the formation of GPS. Yeah. My partner, uh, Jim Phelan, and I started the company in 2015. Prior to that, we were at uh, a company called Sanctuary together. Jim was there first brought me in to be working with him in the producer management division of Sanctuary. And at that point in time, it became clear to us that we would move on from Sanctuary. We decided to start a new company and we had clients that came over from Sanctuary and we were sitting there uh, on the back of Jim's uh, deck one day and decided we need to come up with a mission statement for the new company. And we agreed that the mission statement for GPS will be to work with people that we like, who make records that we want to listen to. And that's really it. Um, So that list that you see is comprised of a whole bunch of men and women who 
make records that we just simply love. We're just big fans of what they do and the musical projects they're a part of. And so, you know, by the sort of very nature of having that mission statement, we tend to either are drawn to or draw in people who share a similar point of view. So it's it's a real pleasure to work with uh, all the people that we do. Some of them are similar in their skill sets. Some of them, you know, are polar opposites. And so we've got a lot of diversity and um, get to be a part of like, you know, I, I can't tell you how sort of astonished I am that this far into my career, I'm still getting excited about the kinds of records we get to be a part of by way of being representation for our clients and helping put these projects together. But yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty humbling every now and then to, uh, you know, look back at the discographies of some of these folks and think, goodness gracious, these are records that made me fall in love with music in certain cases. Um, same, same. Yeah. Yeah. Just for some of our listeners who may not be familiar, I'm just going to toss a couple names out. Uh, and if you're an engineer, mixer, producer, songwriter, you're going to know some of these names. Michael Brower, Billy Bush, Joe Ciccarelli, Greg Fiddleman, Ryan Hewitt, uh, Ethan Johns, Tom Monahan. It just goes on. Vance Powell. And then obviously Damian Taylor, who is how we met. He's been a guest on the show before. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world. So uh, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to say that uh, it's, it's a crazy roster. So congrats on, on building that and working with such talent. Thank you. I, I want to get the burning question out of the way because I know you don't want to answer it for more than one sentence. And you know what the question is because I've heard you answer it yourself. I don't know if I know, but let's, let's hear it. So, uh, so I'm, I'm a kid, I'm new in the music business. I'm a producer, I'm a mixer or whatever. If I get a manager, are they going to get me work? Uh, my answer to that would be maybe, <laughs> or, or, or better yet, hopefully. Hopefully. You know, it's funny, I, when, when I'm asked that question at, at other times, do I need a manager? My answer is, well, what, you know, what do you have to manage? You, you know, I think oftentimes people think that having a manager, especially if you're an engineer or producer, that managers are like employment agents, that we have all the work and we hand it out and, oh, come in and come in for your job today. You're going to be working over here be there by 10, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not like that. It's, um, no. you know, we are very much involved in trying to seek out work for our clients. I mean, we beat the bushes as they say, and, right. and look for projects for our clients. We cold call people, cold email people. We, you know, call up our friends and our, and our, you know, sort of repeat business colleagues all the time, introducing them to our clients, reminding them who we represent, reminding them of a current project that may have just come out that's exciting to talk about. And so, yeah, we, we work hard to try and find work for our clients. But at the end of the day, many producer managers will tell you that that's not what it's about. It's about a, being a partner with your client and being collaborative in taking care of their business, ensuring that they are generally being represented at the highest level, that their interests are being looked after in every instance, and wherever there's a negotiation, if we can improve the terms, whether it be financial or, you know, backend aspects of the deal, we are always trying to uh, improve what our clients may have achieved if we were not in the picture. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of administrative work. I mean, there, you know, these days in the music business, there's any number of paper trails to be chasing and oh, yeah. all of the rest. So. You know, that question is a complicated one. It has a pretty direct answer, but at the same time, 
there's sort of a, a nuanced layer underneath that I think requires, you know, a little sort of deeper thought when, um, uh, when contemplating whether or not to get a manager. I'm, I'm actually approached multiple times a week by, you know, people who have discovered GPS or have been, you know, following along what we do either on social media or <clears throat> on our website or whatever, and they reach out, and which is just absolutely flattering and humbling to know that the work we're doing on behalf of our clients is resonating out there for other people. And they think, oh, geez, I'd like to, I'd like to be a part of that kind of relationship. Where we have a problem is if there's nothing for us to really do. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but I think, you know, we're, we're sort of in the hybrid role of being a manager and an agent. So mm. you can imagine if you ever watch a fan of the HBO show Entourage, you'll know that uh, the Ari Gold character um, is the agent who's out there hustling up the work. And the uh, Eric from the hood old homie character is the one just sort of looking after all the day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. So we do all that from start to finish. We're, we're very involved in, in everything. And when we have a relationship of this type with our clients, um, it's a, it's a very close relationship. It's a deep fiduciary relationship. So we often have a real window into sort of the financial world of our clients and it's a real caretaker job. And each of our clients are artists in their own way artistic people, creative people, they are all artistic. And as you know, most artists are not like <laughs> regular people, you know? Um, that's why they're artists, thank God for them. So it requires in certain cases, a special kind of collaborative, close relationship. And, you know, for us, it's interesting because we are, we're always excited about finding who who is that sort of next wave of producer, engineer, mixer talent, yeah, songwriter talent. You know, we, we're always interested in who's kind of coming up behind some of the people that we work with because, you know, music is very sort of generational in a way. And there oh, yeah. are young, young people doing exciting things all the time. And that's, that's always been the case, yeah. whether we're talking, you know, 75 years ago or today. For sure. There's a lot of crazy talent kids that have grown up, I've talked about it on the podcast numerous times with a laptop in their hands for their entire life or an iPad. And the stuff that they're doing is wildly creative, is just super impressive. You know? Absolutely. And what's funny is some of the clients that we represent who are a part of, a, of an earlier sort of era of audio recording, growing up uh, recording on tape and, yeah. you know, uh, working in multi-room commercial recording studios and all that. It's interesting because you know, when you put those two types of producers together, there's a, there's an interesting sort of, I don't want to say disconnect, but like lack of fluency Oh yeah, in the language that they both speak. So yeah, I'm excited about all the music I hear. I'm constantly shazamming stuff and sort of trying to, you know, figure out what the credits are on things. Like, Who's producing this? This sounds killer. Who is yeah. this person? And it is in many times I'm like, I don't know who this is. Or it's a, you know, a PKA, a professionally known as. There's so many of those in the music business. It's really fun. Um, what was I listening to earlier? Produced by the Monsters and Strangers. It's a great production team name. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's an incredible time. And, and, you know, for us, as a management company, we are, you know, here obviously to service our clients and their needs and help them grow and help them achieve new career benchmarks and hopefully earn an increasingly good living. 
and increase the demand for their services throughout the industry and so on. Um, but we're also a business and um, I have employees and we have overhead and we have rent and all kinds of insurance and all that stuff. And so for us, it's a you know cold-hearted business calculation that goes into it too if we're going to decide to get into business with somebody in a management relationship. And you know, we have a number of clients on the roster, as you can see at globalpositioningservices.net. And there's only so many hours in the day. So, <laughs> you know, if we had more clients who uh, required even more legwork from us, more sort of elbow grease, it would mean that we would have less time to service the other clients that we already represent. So it's a careful consideration. And in certain cases, some of the conversations that lead to a client joining the roster can take months or longer. I'm thinking of a, a scenario, a recent scenario, it took a little over a year, I think, before we ultimately decided to, to get into business. So sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's a no-brainer. For me, when I learned that uh, our mutual friend, Damian Taylor, did not have management, that was an immediate decision for me. I wanted to work with him so bad that I did everything I can to throw myself at his doorstep, um, including, <laughs> including showing up in Montreal from Los Angeles. So, no, did you lure yeah. him down here? Were you part of the, the come down to LA? No, I mean, I, I think Damien came to that on his own, knowing very well that Southern California and LA in particular is effectively the, <clears throat> the central hub of the music business at this point. It is. Uh, aside from London. And, you know, Damien's already done his time there. So, well, along those along those lines, something, you know, I've never had a manager and I, I work with a lot of independent artists and I feel like a lot of them, they are always looking for a manager. And I feel like that is, in my opinion, you can correct me if you disagree, is the wrong approach. Everything that you just said for the last couple of minutes is I find somebody that I really love or something that I really love and I want to be a part of it. And I feel like that's when someone goes to bat for you and that's when you guys have a symbiotic relationship. Some of these like younger people that they just kind of wander around looking for a manager. And I feel like you end up in a situation where you may not be with somebody that is really invested. They're like, oh, you want a manager? Sure, I have some paperwork for that. Yeah. And so I love that that's like your whole thing is exactly what I believe, which is you should work with people that want to work with you. Couldn't agree more. It's, it's just like any relationship, yeah. whether it be a friendship or a business partnership of a different kind or a romantic relationship. If one person is really into it and the other person is kind of half in, half out, kind of not really giving 100%, there will be problems. Yes. <laughs> right? yeah. Imagine being in a romantic relationship where it's like the other person doesn't really give you any indication how hard they're trying or how hard they care. You'd be like, um, I think I might need to leave this. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's look, it's, it's that, that's the way it is for us because we in many cases have to go to bat for our clients, you know, and there are times when we really have to fight for, um, their interests and, it's important to really care I think, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're going to bat. And you know, the, the thing about the music business increasingly is that it's very small. Oh yeah. You know, yes, there are all kinds of artists and, you know, music creators, producers, engineers, beat makers, songwriters, 
top liners. I mean, there's so many people, especially now, you know, with the fewer and fewer barriers to recording technology, recording yourself, recording your friends. There are a ton of young producers out there. You know, the the challenge is how do you gain any momentum? How do you develop enough of a sort of, you know, pace of work and sort of building from one cool project to the next and have the profile of those projects start to increase, increase more and more, and people start to associate you with cool projects. And when it gets to a point where you're working often enough and, you know, you've got so many sort of inquiries and incoming, it's like, God, I could really use some help, you know, fielding all of this and that's at the very end of the day, that's what a manager ought to be good at at the very least is organizational stuff, fielding all the incoming, following up on every lead, every little thread that you possibly can that could lead somewhere to a job and being proactive about your, you know, your, your relationship with people and trying to, you know, constantly connect the dots. A friend of mine who I met early in my career, who is an A&R executive and one of the most talented A&R guys ever. I was on the phone with him just yesterday and he was talking about how much he loves the connective tissue of his job. And his job is to, he's a, he's an A&R consultant and um, is to go out there and find exciting projects and connect the dots. And sometimes you can get connected to a really cool unsigned project by way of the producer who's involved yeah. in it. And so he's often calling me up and, Sort of picking my brain about what are the what have our clients done lately and things what should we hear and all this other stuff and, and it's that kind of thing is to be proactive about the people you represent but more importantly our clients and I I think many people out there who are working at that level understand is you can't just wait around you have to be proactive yourself you can't wait for your manager to call you and say hey I got a job for you no. I mean you know you have to be out there mixing it up and going after stuff and inserting yourself into the conversation and, and you know reaching out to artists there's a million ways to do that now whether it's dms or whatever and you know you have to be proactive and the way that i look at it is you know our our compensation here is based on a 15 percent commission fairly standard we take 15 percent for what i would call 15 percent of the work where our client's job is 85% of the work. And the work is A, doing the job in the studio, but also doing the job of putting yourself out there, networking with other artists, other producers. If you're if you're a mixer, who are the producers that you're linking up with to try to maybe have those projects coming in your way? And if you're a producer, maybe reaching out to artists or showing up at a show or trying to have a meeting or turning up on a rehearsal and, you know, and it's it's the name of the game. Um, yeah. You know, it is just the name of the game. And you just never know where one conversation will lead to. That's the other thing. So having a conversation about one project, one artist may lead to an entirely different thing for a different artist, a different client. And so, you know, we try hard here to be very well, how do you say, like sort of recognized by the Better Business Bureau, where we're fair, you know, no, one's, no one gets screwed over at GPS, you know, there's uh, all the things we do are, we hope with highest levels of integrity, whether it's deal making or negotiations or whatever. And as a result of that, people want to 
hopefully call us again. Hey, like that was a good experience. We made a, a, a fair deal at GPS and we got what we needed out of one of their clients. Yeah. So let's call them again. Yeah. It's so interesting. The, the laptop world, the bedroom production world, it's, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's all, it's all the same. And in terms of what the deals should generally look like, whether you're a very well-established producer with a three or four page discography, or you're someone who's really just starting out, the approach to your business should be exactly the same. Make sure there's an agreement. And if there's any money exchanging hands, make sure it's clear, make sure you're getting paid. And, you know, when all is said and done, if you're songwriting on some recordings that you're producing, make sure the splits are negotiated, the songs are registered correctly, make sure LODs to sound exchange are being submitted and all these things so that you're acting like the kind of high level producer you aspire to be. Yes, I agree with that completely. And, you know, sort of best, best practices business wise from the start and not yeah. waiting to take care of business or frankly, understand your business. I think that's something that we encounter from time to time when we're doing deals and clients have a certain perception. It's like, actually that's, that's incorrect. I'm not sure where you got that perception of what this deal is, but this is what it means. And really understanding producer deals, mixer agreements, understanding what the various, you know, ways that you can get paid are when making a deal and so on. Yeah, well, that kind of segues into, I have a whole list of questions that maybe we'll hit, maybe we won't. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Since we're talking about deals, what's the future music deal look like? Are there things that you're really pushing for in your producer-mixer deals that you used to not... Is it is it the same for you 10 years ago as it is now? Or is there like something that you think is more important now than it was before? Um, good question. I think the deals are, they're different from a decade ago, only in that there are increasingly more net profit deals that are happening where artists are signing a net profits deal with a label versus a more traditional artist deal where the artist receives an artist royalty. The major label companies are still signing artists in that manner, where they receive anywhere from 16 to 20 points. Uh, and then they have, to, of course, to peel those off for producers and mixers on a track-by-track -track basis. But more and more, we're doing net receipts deals, where okay. we convert what would have been the equivalent royalty had it been an artist royalty deal at a label to a net receipts percentage. That's probably half, maybe even more, uh, of the deals we're doing lately for our client versus the standard producer agreement. The thing that hasn't changed is the contract is still with the artist. It's not with the label. I think people get that a little confused. Well, you're, you know, I'm doing this for, you know, such and such label. Why isn't the contract coming from the label? Well, it's actually the artist that's hiring you to do the work. Your contract is with them. And through a letter of direction, 
the artist is instructing the label to pay you pursuant to the contract that you have with them. So it's right. a, you know, it's a, it's a round around way um, of the label essentially, you know, not being a party to the agreement. Different case outside the country. When we're doing deals outside the country, whether it's Mexico, whether it's Canada, whether it's Europe, UK, et cetera, um, the deal is with the label. We do the deal directly with the label in those cases, which when it comes to things like royalty accounting is preferable because <laughs> you have a contract with a label that says that they'll account to you. Yes. Yeah. Whereas with the artist agreement, the artist says in the agreement, well, I'll use my best efforts to cause the label to account to you, but it's kind of like, there's no guarantees. So yeah, we're, um, we're seeing many more of those kinds of deals. I think, you know, over the years, there have been other aspects of deals that we've done that have been, I don't know, you could say sort of more non-traditional, for example, as a form of compensation instead or in lieu of a, you know, a dollar amount in pocket at the start of a project or perhaps a, a greatly reduced uh, fee, um, a client may be awarded a share of an artist publishing on the record so that perhaps, you know, things go well, there's some licensing activity or, you know, there's a song that turns out to be a hit on the radio that can be some good back end. So we've done deals. I did a deal years ago where the artist agreed to pay the producer an additional fee once they achieved a certain financial threshold while on tour. So if the band hit, I can't remember what it was, you know, $100,000 in gross income on tour, they would kick a payment, additional payment, pre-negotiated payment to the producer. Oh, that's great. Something similar with merch. I've done that too. If an artist achieves a certain threshold with merchandise sales, they'll kick an additional payment to the producer. So really any negotiation is what you can agree to with a, with a willing, you know, willing person on the other end of the phone. I think, you know, uh, it used to be, I mean, geez, even going back, I don't know, 30 years, 25 years, mixers didn't used to get points. Yeah. And my former uh, business partner, uh, Jim, who was retired, who was a producer manager, one of the early, early producer managers, uh, Jim and a gentleman named Sandy Robertson and uh, another uh, English gentleman named Paul Brown. They were all very early on the producer management business. It hadn't really been a you know segment of the music business at that point in time. And uh, Jim at the time, um, and, and later, you know, was representing some of the biggest producers in the business, like Brendan O'Brien and T-Bone Burnett, Jack Joseph Puig, Matt Wallace, and many others. And when you reach a certain point as a mixer, as a very highly in-demand mixer, you gain leverage. And at that time, Jim and his colleagues in the in the early days of producer management, use their clients' leverage to establish that a mixer should get a royalty, especially if you're somebody who is having success over and over and over in you know getting songs on the radio. And you know this is back in the days of you know terrestrial radio being the primary driver of uh, of a record or you know music videos. Yep. And it was at that point where yeah, same old scenario. The producer managers are negotiating with the artists uh, reps. 
And they said, my mixer wants a point. And I'm sure they were rebuffed and rejected and told, are you crazy? Mixers don't get points. Well, guess what? Slowly but surely, mixers started getting points. Now, for us, now these years later, and for the other producer managers uh, and management companies out there, we've all benefited from those early early efforts. Um, the pioneers in producer management now make it possible for mix engineers to get points on the records they're mixing. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, speaking of the future, this is uh, this is pretty far off topic. So if you don't have anything to say about this, have you done any reading about the way that like blockchain or this new non-fungible token, have you have you followed any of this? I'm fascinated. It's this. so interesting, right? And I, I was just looking at that um, for people that are listening that Christie's is doing the the auction right now for that Beeple piece of art. I don't know if you've seen that. So it's a digital piece of art encrypted with uh, with an NFT. And it's at like two and a half million. It's been up for a day, wow. or two days. Do you see music embracing this? Because I feel like there's so much opportunity for artists particular, but probably everybody. I pray to God that the music industry can adopt technologies like this. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Benji Rogers. Benji um, is a friend, friend of GPS. He was the co-founder if not the founder uh, of Pledge Music. Okay. Which was a great company that sadly, you know, many, many, many years later, um, I think had some, you know, leadership and financial troubles and ultimately they didn't make it um, and had to, had to close their doors. But Benji's a great guy and left Pledge and went on to really try and push and pioneer the development of, and the adoption of blockchain music business. He had a uh, founded a company called Dot Blockchain. And this was years ago at this point. And I'm thinking to myself, had only that gained a toehold. You know, what I think what is sadly true is, you know, the, the way the music business exists is built upon, its legacy is built upon a very lopsided financial model, lopsided deal structure, not particularly artist friendly. You know, and uh, and those things, those sort of entrenched, you know, aspects, foundational sort of structures of the music business are very hard to change. There have been changes over the years and in really positive ways, like, you know, groups advocating for more rights for producers and engineers. For example, producers, royalty bearing, royalty participating producers and mixers now getting not now, but you know, for the last 15 years or so, being able to receive uh, performance royalty through sound exchange, which is exciting, yeah, and new, uh, relatively new for the for the history of the music business, um, or companies like you know Cobalt and what BMG is also doing, where you know making your um, accounts, your uh, income from the various rights streams that are administered, say, by Cole, you can look at your stuff. You can look at your account. You can see where's where's my money. Literally, I think there's a button that says, where's my money? <laughs> That's and, great. you know, that didn't, that was never the case. I mean, it was always, you know, royalty statements or financial statements from record companies are like voodoo. You can, nobody can make heads or tails of them. And, <laughs> you know, many artists just sort of throw up their hands and like, well, you know, I don't know, at least they sent me a check. Do I know that it's accurate? No. And so, you know, something like blockchain and other technologies that really drive transparency, I think is the key to the future. I really do. And I think 
a decentralization of rights and rights management is critical. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, to me, it's like, uh, sometimes I feel like it's a computer program that hasn't been like recoded. They've just like put patches on it. Totally. That's a great analogy. Yeah. One of that. these days, yeah, somebody's going to have to recode the whole thing. But until then, it's just like, well, this is old and this is new and these things mixed together. And I was just curious. I was thinking about th that today because I was obviously interested in the NFT thing. So I thought I'd ask because uh, I have heard of artists releasing music, you know, tied with blockchain and, you know, that basically results in, from my understanding, everybody involved in the project getting their royalty immediately. If I buy the record through your blockchain protocol, then the producer gets his, mixer gets his, the writers get theirs, and it just happens. Yeah, I mean, think, think about this. Okay, here we are, the record companies, the majors, and, and frankly, many independent companies that are pretty good size, they account to us twice a year. There's the accounting period from January 1 through June 30, and then the second half uh, accounting period from July 1 through December 31st. The record companies and in, in their agreements, both with the artists and then subsequently with the artist agreement with the producer, says that the uh, accounting for a particular royalty bearing project shall come 90 days after the close of an accounting period. So the last accounting period, uh, December 31st, 2020, just closed. And the record companies now have 90 days to kind of get it all together and prepare an accounting and send it through to our clients for their respective projects. And if you imagine, Travis, that you're Universal Music Group and you have royalty payments due to producers and mixers for your projects that are, say, $10 million, okay? Let's just say probably a pretty, I mean, maybe it's un under undervalued there. $10 million are due to producers and mixers for the various projects that Universal is, is distributing and marketing. If you can imagine that Universal gets to hang on to $10 million yeah. for an extra three months sitting, even if you even if you stuck that in a basic like index fund, $10 million over even three months ensures that that label is earning that much more money on the money that they supposedly are you know holding there for you do you participate in that increase in earnings no but yeah that's that's a crazy thing and in, and in many cases one of the jobs that we have here is to track down missing royalty accountings it's happening constantly oh. we literally do this 350 days a year here <laughs> where despite the fact that it's not royalty time we're constantly chasing un paid unaccounted to royalties all year long and here we are right around uh end of march early april the new royalties for the 2020 close are going to start to show up and we're going to have to start chasing them all over again so if you can imagine a blockchain solution where everyone gets paid at the moment of the transaction there's no waiting there's no chasing there's no nothing it's a beautiful it's a beautiful future it is it is well, speaking of royalties, do you have any advice for the independent producer or independent musician that feels like they are not getting their share, that they're not getting their PRO, that they're not getting their sound exchange? Yeah, I do. First of all, there are there's a couple of things with PROs. With so, if you're a collaborator, co-writer on a particular track, obviously you're going to want to be affiliated with one of the big three: ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. And you're going to want to ensure that all song splits, percentages, 
have been discussed and agreed upon between the parties and everybody needs to go register their respective share at their respective PRO. Um, that's just good admin right there. And anyone who's in that position should be keeping close track of all of this, keeping a, a splits breakdown document, tracking all the projects you have splits on, you know, what is everybody else's split? What, but what is everybody else's, uh, publishing entity names? So if anybody has any questions, you've got it all there. Admin one, you know, I think one, one ring to rule them all. Think about admin as the ring serious like yeah. if you don't have your admin together like your game is weak and as far as sound exchange goes you know that is a that is another administrative task to ensure but it's tied to the producer or the mixer agreement so if you're negotiating a producer or mixer agreement you should be getting a sound exchange letter of direction prepared at the same time so that they both can be signed at the same time and with sound exchange it's as simple as registering creating an account and when Letters of direction to sound exchange are drafted, signed, and submitted. Again, you should be double checking that they have been accepted, that they're reflected in your account, that everything is there. Another administrative job, keeping a spreadsheet of all your sound exchange LODs, maybe on a separate tab, and making sure that nothing falls through the cracks. As far as getting royalty accounting from an independent artist, that's hard because an independent artist is probably doesn't have an on-call, on-staff bookkeeper. Perhaps they're at a level though, where they have a business manager and someone who's handling their financials, but it's incumbent upon the artist to account to the producer or the mixer. Um, and depending on the kind of deal that you made with them, they, they may simply not have the you know, administrative capability to do that, to prepare a royalty accounting to you. That said, it's also not rocket science. So, you know, if an artist generates, um, you know, $10,000 in, in income and there are, you know, $5,000 in costs that have to be recouped and a producer is getting, or a mixer is getting, you know, 5% net receipts on five grand, they're owed 250 bucks. It's like, keep track of your income ensure that you have allocated for who you need to pay out, right? Whether it's royalty bearing producers or mixers and set that money aside. It's like independent contractors, you know, who make uh, 200 grand a year, but then forget that they have to pay taxes on that money, you know, right. when there's no withholding, right? So it's, again, it's an incumbent upon the artist to, to take care of this stuff. And most time artists are being too busy being artists to want to deal with any of this stuff. So that's where it gets trickier for producers on the actual royalty statement side of things from an independent artist. Yeah. Creatives definitely don't like Excel. They probably don't even know what Excel yeah. is actually. Yeah. So I feel like this episode's a little backwards. I do, before we go, I want to run through your career quickly. I guess you started in A&R at A&M is my understanding, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then you worked through various... You, you had your own management companies, you worked for management companies and got involved in producer engineering. I guess my question is, are there moments in your career that you felt like you wanted to make a big change or you were inspired to start your own thing? Like you, you mentioned earlier about GPS, are there big key moments for you where you were like, I hit a goal, I set a new goal and this is where it took me? Sure. 
Um, Sorry, that's a broad question. <laughs> yeah, no, broad. I'm just sort of like sort of digging back in time a little bit. I mean, I think about, you know, I've, I've started my own businesses over the years, uh, in addition to being employed by others, by other companies. And when I think, a, I think a good example of GPS is in our, now we're in our 16th year in business. And so over the years, there have been a lot of changes. In the earlier part of GPS streaming was not really on anyone's radar, you know. But I have um, I had always taken the marketing side of uh, of a management company and management roster very seriously, and really wanted GPS to stand apart from that angle of things. And it's not there's no linear line you can draw between like being really proactive with sort of marketing your clients on the internet to more business, but I think it works. And I think our clients appreciate it. And I think it's absolutely necessary. So I have been really engaged in trying to amp up and beef up our online presence so that GPS sort of radiates a wider sort of, you know, footprint out there. One of the people on the team here, a former full-time employee who's now more of a consultant, but runs all of our website stuff and our social media stuff. And, you know, we talk all the time about how do we, how do we push the envelope here? How do we, how do we differentiate ourselves as a management company out there? Cause there are several other, we, you know, lots of competition and um, a lot of really cool people doing what we do too. And how do we stand apart both because we're trying to, you know, sort of position ourselves as, as a particular type of company, to sort of, I don't know, represent a certain aesthetic, but also a certain kind of mission statement in the business. Yeah. But also, you know, do what other people are not doing on behalf of their clients. So if you go to at GPS management on Instagram, for example, you'll see five days a week of constant posts of new music, new music from Damian Taylor, new music from Ryan Hewitt, new music from Billy Bush. You know, it's um it's something a little bit different. And so I decided that I wanted to really drive kind of the marketing side of what we do pretty early on. And I think over the years, we've evolved. I think we've had one, three, four different websites, versions of the same website. And we've been really pushing the sort of social media marketing side of thing pretty hard over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, in this era of how the heck do you know who did what? Yeah. Um, it's important to us, important to me to push that information out there into people's news feeds every day. Back in the day, you could walk into a record store and look at a CD and turn it over and see that it was produced by one of your favorite producers. Yeah. And you knew that, oh, this is probably going to be pretty awesome if if this person produced it. I mean, I can, you know, Travis, you can probably name half a dozen records that if you've turned it over and you saw, you know, produced by Brian Eno, produced by Flood and Alan Mulder, produced by, you know, anyone else, you'd be like, oh, geez, this is a record that I would probably like. Now, how do you find anyone's credits? Only recently did Spotify allow you to right click or whatever on the, on the thing and find who the writers and producers are, but no mixers, no engineers. Yeah. So we have to constantly push that out there. And that, that I think has been, I think we do see a positive kind of re return from the universe on doing that. Yeah, I agree. Actually, while you were saying that, I wrote credits down because 
I credits are just they're they're I mean I've been credited on things I didn't work on and not receiving yeah. credits on things that I did work on. And so, you know, social media really is at this point kind of like a credit list for people because there's nothing else that can really accurately depict someone's career. It's like it becomes your own responsibility and then everyone's just going to have to believe that you did this record and that record. So it's unfortunate. Hopefully, you know, Spotify will improve their credits. Titles are better. Like Title has mm -hmm. uh, some some musicians. It's got engineers and mixers. But anything that's released independently is still, you know, blank boxes. And yeah, the label stuff seems to be at the mercy of whatever admin punches it in. But yeah, anyway, credits credits are a problem for sure. So I totally think that you're doing the right move with the social media because, like you were saying earlier, it, it's top of mind. Everybody knows your clients, but you have to always be presented with all of your options. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's like, if you're thinking about, we'll use Damien as a great example, thinking about Damien Taylor, you probably, if you have an awareness of his work, know that he's worked with, you know, the prodigy, he's worked with Bjork, he's worked with the temper trap, he's worked with the killers and many, many others. But did you know that he just finished uh, work on the Bumba Estereo album. And if you've heard Bumba Estereo anywhere else out in the world on KCRW or other really cool, you know, sort of non-com, you know, radio or in your news feed somewhere else, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't think, oh, that's that must be Damian Taylor. You wouldn't know that. So it's our job to make sure you know. Yeah, <laughs> to exactly. Push that into your face. Be like, you know, this one was was by Damien. And it's a constant effort and you know, if we get, you know, even 10% uh, sort of penetration on the, on the effort, you know, ho hopefully that's good enough. Um, and will cause someone else to say, wow, I didn't know that that was a Damien Taylor project, but I'm interested in him. Let's talk. So, yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's awesome. Well, Jeremiah, this has been, uh, this has been a ton of fun. I got one last question before we go. And I always end the show with this question. What right now is the biggest goal that you're willing and able to share that you have and what's the next smallest thing that you're going to do to go towards it? Hmm. The next biggest and the next smallest. Um, well, I would say that the next biggest thing and just in terms of, you know, aspirational to-do list things yeah. um, is to expand the size and reach of this company by being able to provide this level of service and what we do to more people and in more locations. Mm, yeah. Currently we're based in LA, specifically in El Segundo. We just moved down here. It's awesome. And we have clients all over the country, West Coast, Nashville, clients in New York, and uh, currently one client in the UK and one client in Seoul, South Korea. But I think there is a big, bright, beautiful world out there. And there's lots of incredible music being made. And there are lots of really talented uh, producers, engineers, mixers, songwriter, collaborators, et cetera, that could use and benefit from, you know, partnering up with a company like ours. So that's a goal of mine is to expand the reach uh, of what we do and uh, expand the size of our team how do we get there? How is, what's, the, what's the first small step? I think part of that has to do with simply saying it out loud and verbalizing it. Verbalizing this intent we have is pretty key. I think you can keep it bottled up. It's not going anywhere, that's for sure. But if yep. you 
talk about it and you articulate it, um, it's more likely that, you know, it's going to continue to take shape in my brain. And like anything else uh, around here, once we have a, a good idea and it gains a little traction, it's kind of unstoppable. So whether we take that approach to, you know, there are certain clients that we really want to work with and we uh, <laughs> massage the universe as it were to uh, cause, cause a conversation to happen. It's like, we're, you know, we're pretty proactive around here. So as far as that verbalized stated goal goes, you know, maybe we can um, have part two of this podcast in a year and see where we're at with it. Yeah, no, I like it. Well, it goes back to what you said earlier when you were telling an aspiring producer or mixer to do his deals and, you know, basically walk the walk of the, of the producer or mixer they want to be. And uh, I think a lot of people underestimate the power of verbalizing your goals or telling people, writing them down, whatever it is. Like if you keep it inside, you, uh, you don't feel like you have to do it, you know? And when you're telling everybody, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. You're, you're working your way towards it. It's like, that's where you're steering the boat. Yeah. There's all of a sudden this, um, this, this new accountability. Exactly. Whether you feel it to yourself, hopefully you do. Hopefully you feel accountable to yourself. And, you know, I think that anyone who's trying to find their way in this business and, and in particular, this, this little, you know, slice of our business, the recorded music side of our business and the, you know, the audio professionals that, uh, uh, you know, do the work that you guys do. It's like, you've got to have a lot of intent. And I think it's, it's important to be, yeah, clear about what you want and be fair, a good, you know, fair dealer and good business person. And like I said before, if your admin game is weak, you, you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> so, um, I mean, maybe as I, I shouldn't say it like that. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people who have just, you know, oodles of raw talent and they, and they do go, go far. But I think, um, you know, all of these things about trying to level up, it's like, it, you know, it starts by looking in the mirror in so many ways and, you know, no one else is going to come, come riding to your, to your, uh, defense or, you know, save you or, you know, or, or whatever. It's, it's really, um, you know, a straight up hustle that you have to be accountable to yourself for. And I think it, when you operate that way in life, it's, it's, a, it's a, just a good place to be. And I think generally things tend to work out better when you're just a little bit more focused on, on life that way. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's, uh, that's perfect. That, that little, little rant there is like the perfect way to go out. It's, uh, everybody should go back and check that last minute out again. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to let people know where the website is? If anybody's interested in your, your roster and working. Sure. Together? Yes. We have a pretty cool website. It's got a lot of info, uh, pretty deep. We post, uh, on it every day as well. So there's, if there's new news, it's there. And, uh, a lot of times that same news is also shared on our social media. Our website is global positioning services.net. Our Instagram page is at GPS management. Management is all spelled out. And, um, yeah, you can see who we represent. Our clients each have a client page, bio information, selections of music to listen to, and lots of other fun links and discographies and stuff. So if you want to get lost in credits, you want to get lost on our curated playlists of 
you know, uh, mixer credits by Michael Brower or production credits by Greg Fiddleman and everybody in between, by all means, we built it so people could sample what our clients do and um, hopefully come away with with a better understanding of you know, who these folks are and the kinds of records they work on. Awesome. Well, there you have it. All that will be in the show notes for people too, so they can find it there. Jeremiah, thank you so much. I I loved every second of this, man. This was really, really enjoyable. So, Thanks for having me, Travis. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this, this is a fun conversation. Cool. Awesome. Well, have a great evening. You too. So that's it for episode number 25. Next week is episode 26. That is six months of progressions. Crazy. I can't believe we've been doing this for six months. So as usual, don't forget to join us at completeproducer.net. Join in the conversation there. And anywhere you'd like to share the show is always greatly appreciated. We'll see you next week.